All right, our guest um, speaker this morning is Beth Severson. She is um, in charge of the evangelism team um, for our denomination um, out of the office in Chicago. Her passion is mentoring young adults. Um, she has three daughters in her 20s. Um, she's written all kinds of things. She's written articles for the Women's Devotional Bible. Um, I just looked at some of the Bible study materials she's written and some of the titles, just to give you an idea. Why Evangelism is Worship. Embracing Humility. Why Our Witness Must Be Kind. We Have to, to Belong So Others Can Believe. Those are the kinds of things that she's working on. And so she's responsible for the series that we're going for. She's responsible, responsible for our denomination looking at this evangelism initiative in ways that actually reach a changed culture. And so, Beth, would you come and share with us about listening? And you can all clap when she gets here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for having me. It's just awesome to be here. Um, some of you probably know that um, I've just finished my PhD like four weeks ago. Don't wait this long. Don't wait this long. And the only reason I would even mention it to you because you were one of the churches I studied. So I feel very connected to you even though we haven't met. So it's so cool. So cool for me. And before I just get started, I also want to just greet you on behalf of the Covenant Church. You know, we're a fellowship of churches. We don't emphasize the denomination a lot, but we really are just behind you. We're supportive. We have a few affirmations that connect us. And um, one of those is that we love the centrality of God's word. And we love to make and deepen disciples that are multipliers. We love um, mercy and doing justice. They're just some things that tie us together. And so I just want to say to greet you on behalf of those that just work on the national team that you probably never even meet, but we're here for you. And um, yeah, if any of you ever want to Skype or have coffee, just connect with me, okay? I'd love that. So great. Um, and I also want to just mention a couple of things about Bless, just in case you weren't here last week. So Bless, um, we're going to talk today about this, the second letter in the acronym, right? Uh, listening with care. But, you know, just like we have uh, spiritual disciplines, and those spiritual dis- disciplines, what do they do? They help us to love Jesus more. They help us to follow Jesus more, and they help us to become more like Jesus. And so um, so that's really what the five missional practices in BLESS are all about. They're really about loving Jesus more, following him more, and becoming more like him as we vector outward and follow him in loving our neighbors well. Loving our neighbors well. Not as a project, loving them over a course of a lifetime, we do hope and long that someday we may have the privilege of introducing them to Jesus. But we are going to be good neighbors no matter what. And that's what BLESS is. It's just a pathway to be more missional, to love neighbors well. So the backdrop kind of today of my message, and I just have to tell you, it's really hard for me to stand still, so I'll probably jump down and jump back up a few times, and it's just, I don't know what I have. Can you have ADHD of motion? I don't know, maybe. So um, yeah, so anyway, the backdrop, I think, of the message, we're going to look at Philip. 
Philip the Evangelist. And we're going to look at his story a little bit and see if we can pull some discipleship principles from his story together, some missional principles. But the backdrop is, um, it's all about, right, listening to God on behalf of people. God, where have you sent me? Who have you sent me to? How do you want me to bless them? And then listening to people on behalf of God. Where is God working in that person's life? And how can I come alongside the Holy Spirit and collaborate and join him? And we do that by just being great conversationalists, right? We just ask great questions and deepen our relationships. So that's kind of our our backdrop, our framework. So Philip's background is really interesting to me. I don't know if you recall exactly how Philip, we just kind of looked at it for a moment. I think you've been studying that too. But, you know, kind of how did he come into his role? So the church, the early church, it was just like growing like crazy. Have you guys experienced this this year? I think I've seen your stats. You're kind of growing like crazy, right? And um, just more and more people interested in coming and hanging around. In fact, Acts tells us like some days a thousand people are added a day. Can you imagine that? People just like chit-chatting and telling their neighbors about Jesus and, and inviting them. Hey, come with us and come hear this. It's so cool. I'd love for you to, to know God. It's just such a neat thing. And it was becoming more and more diverse. And so um, it was that, you know, those 12 apostles, they were just unable to keep up with all those demands, right? The ministry was growing, and they, they knew that they were called to kind of share God's word, to communicate God's word. But there were just so many needs because when we're, when we're caring for people, they also are often broken, and they need restoration. And so they really needed help. And think about Pentecost, at Pentecost, what did the early church look like? Well, it was mostly Jewish people who followed Jesus. And it was mostly Jewish-speaking people who followed Jesus. But as the church grew, a whole lot of Greek-speaking Jews started to join the community. And you'll recall that their widows really kind of felt excluded, right? There was some exclusion going on. Hey, we're not being cared for. And so... Um, They had to figure that all out. What did that look like? And so they called these seven guys. They prayed. They asked the Spirit to guide them. And they raised up seven leaders who could help kind of take care of all that caring and reaching and restoring of people's lives so the ministry could continue and grow. Um, And so uh, one of those guys was Philip. And Philip went on to preach and to do miracles. He's one of the very few people in the scriptures that are actually like called the evangelist. Philip the evangelist. And what does that mean? It just means to tell, to share the good news, to communicate, right? To communicate about Jesus to other people, both in word and in deed, to demonstrate God's love, but also not to neglect telling people. And so um, that's kind of who he was. He ended up having four daughters. You know, I'm the mom of three daughters, so he's really intriguing to me. And what's really cool is that every one of his daughters went into ministry. They became prophetesses. Is that not cool in the early church? He reproduced the kingdom in his own family. I love that multiplying piece. And so um, Philip was from a different cultural background than the people in the church he initially joined. And that means that they probably didn't always look at life through the same cultural lens, right? There would have been some differences there. And um, his cross-cultural adventures and his skills, they became really foundational for our story that we're looking at today. God uses Philip to reach across an ethnic divide 
It's amazing. With an Ethiopian leader from a different status, he's up in the court doing work. And Philip is used by God to move cross-culturally with the gospel and to really found the church in a whole new country. So cool. So I want to just make a, a kind of look at a few observations about how Philip engaged the kingdom. Like, how did he bless people? And really, you know, when we bless people, when we pray for them, when we listen to them, when we do community with them, when we serve with and together and allow them to serve us, and uh, then we share, when we have the privilege someday of sharing our story and, and God's big story of how he's changed us in the world, that's all kingdom engagement. Prayer, listening, that's engaging God's mission. And so... What does it look like to really be blessing? And I'm talking about kind of unchurched people. I know your, your life's probably full of those folks, and I hope so. I really hope so. So one of the things I noticed about Philip right off the bat is that he was prepared for kingdom engagement. What prepared him to bless other people? His own life experiences. Things that had happened to him in his life, his own background, his human connections with people, his cultural sensitivities and sensibilities, yeah. And when he ended up in the desert being nudged by God, nudged by the Holy Spirit, he had been prepared by God his whole life to reach out to that guy from Ethiopia. So what does it look like for us to be doing that? You know, like what unique experiences has God given you that will bless others? Who are you uniquely drawn to? Who do you have passion for or identify with? That's kingdom stuff. That stuff in your life is what God wants to do and to use. He gives us a heart for people. And it might even be like the really hard stuff in our lives. You've been through any really tough stuff. Sometimes it's that really hard stuff that God wants to use for his kingdom. I think of Philip, a minority person in a new church, And I imagine there was some stuff there. I imagine he'd been marginalized at points in his life. And yet he reaches out to this Ethiopian from another culture. And that guy probably had his own issues, right? And his own struggles. And there's some, there's some bridging going on, and there's some cool theology here, too. I love it. So, yeah, we're uniquely made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. It looks unique among us, but also looks unique to, like, the culture, the collective cultures we come out of. And it's the coolest thing. It's God uses all of that to connect us to people. And he gives us a longing to see his image restored in particular people's. So cool. So that means for me, I don't have to sit on my personality. Is there anything in your life that you've maybe felt ashamed of? Or you feel like, ah, that background, or man, that gets in the way. Or, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't know what the scripts are that go through your life. But actually, God wants to use those scripts to his honor and his glory and for his kingdom. And so, um, really, in the gospel, sometimes it's our worst stuff. That can be our best step. So, so what do we mean by that? I mean, like, God really wants to use our brokenness. Okay, this is one of those times I'm going to jump off. Okay, so hopefully I won't hurt myself. But, but I just, like, just want to kind of share a story about that. So I'm a mom, and at that time in my life, I have, like, a, a 13, a 12-year-old, and maybe an 8-year-old. So I have three girls. And I'm in a neighborhood doing life with my friend Penny. And Penny lives right next door, and she's a mom. And she has three girls. And her oldest is the same age as my youngest. And so we do plenty of life together, right? We're in the same school. We just do kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And we're having a garage sale. 
really an old-fashioned garage sale. We're having a garage sale. We're trying to get rid of our stuff. So a lot of stuff in this sermon. So anyway, so we're having a garage sale, and um, there's kind of a lull, and Penny runs home to make lunch for all eight of us, right? We got six kids and two adults. And so she comes back, and she is just shaking, and she's super upset. And I just see it all over. And he's like, Penny, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe it. She goes, I just snapped at my kids. She says, I'm so stressed out. And you know, the, the kids are running around like crazy. And she said, I just, I just yelled at all of them. And I'm standing there in my garage with her, looking at her. And I quiet and I hear, tell her. Just tell her. And I said, you know, Penny, I totally get it. I said, I remember a moment. I know you love Meredith. I love Meredith. But I remember a moment I said, like, okay, so this is for you guys. Anybody here know the Suzuki method? Okay, okay, okay. So, like, right, I have two violinists and a cellist, and they all play piano, right? So can you remember anything about your parents helping you with Suzuki? Like, don't they basically have to learn it themselves the first few days of the week, and then you take off with it? You know, like, A-E-A. Don't listen. I don't have a voice anymore. A-E-A. A-A-E-E-A-E-A. Anybody get that? Just a few nods. Okay, so so it's before dinner, and I feel like this is the third child, and I've been helping everybody with their lessons, and I have my own life to live, Lord. I love being a mom, but I'm really stressed out. And I can't... <laughs> I keep trying to share with Meredith how to do it right. Here's how you do it right, and here's how you do it right. And I'm not even a pianist. And so, so it's really stressful. And so anyway, like after the fifth or sixth time, Meredith still doesn't get it right. And I just, I snapped. And it's like the lowest moment of my parenting. I slapped her hand. I slapped her hand. What mother does that? I mean, I wept. I was brokenhearted. Even in telling, even in telling Penny what I had done, you know, I'm getting teary. She's teary because it's such a low moment in my parenting. And I have to tell you, in that moment, I just, I just felt like God said, pray. You know, when we just listen to him, sometimes it's just a word, pray. So I said to my non-Christian, unchurched friend in the garage, hey, could we just pray together for a moment? Keep your eyes open. And I said, let's ask God to help us be better moms. And so let's, I just prayed a really simple prayer. Lord, forgive us. We blow it. We're broken. But you don't. Can you help us not lose our tempers, especially in moments like this, and be better moms? Well, I have to tell you, it wasn't much long after that. It's just such a God story of God showing up. You know, a few weeks later, Penny calls us 2 in the morning. Hey, Jeff drank too much. He can't, he can't drive. He can't find his way home. Can Marco help? few weeks later, another month, my van on the way to children's ministry now has not three little girls, but six little girls. We had a breakthrough. And then a few months later, Jeff and Penny are with us at church, starting to know Jesus, starting to grow. Sometimes, right, it can be the worst stuff. If we're listening, listening to the Spirit. Yeah, so... um, just kind of looking at these principles. What is it that makes us able to identify with other people? God wants to use that. And um, it really starts with listening, right? Listening to God on behalf of others. How can I bless them? And listening to God and listening to others on behalf of God. And that just kind of leads us right into this next observation. For kingdom engagement to really bless people, for it to be transformative, yeah, and to make a difference, it really has to be about God nudging, right? He's the one that has to make the connection and the opportunities. This is a supernatural thing that happens. We cannot manufacture in someone's life a spiritual awakening. 
but we can connect, we can build a bridge, we can share, we can be invitational, we can love, we can listen, and God will do this amazing thing. So for it to be authentic and effective, we kind of have to lean in. What are you doing here, God? And that's what Philip does. Like God whispers to him, and then he sends him. And Philip goes, and he says, go up the road a little bit more, and Philip goes up the road, and hey, there's that guy. I want you to come alongside him and just stay there. Just stay with him. And so Philip does that. And that, that being a blesser is really about God nudging and God directing and God initiating. And that's what's so cool because we don't have to bear that burden. It's not on us. We get to join in and we get to listen. But we don't have to carry it all by ourselves. And we're not even meant to do it alone. God wants to do it in community with his spirit and with each other. So Often, what does it come like? Well, yeah, sometimes it comes like apologizing for what maybe even the church has done in harming someone. Or other times, it's just listening and being empathetic. Um, Sometimes, like the Ethiopian eunuch, yeah, he had some spiritual questions. And you get to arrive at the moment the person has the questions. And you get to help with that, like Philip did. But, you know, in in being good listeners and leaning in, sometimes it's what? It's messy. Yeah. And doesn't it also mean sometimes we get totally interrupted? Is that not the hardest thing, right? I have begun to pray in my life, God, help me see the interruptions of my day as the most important work of our day together. Just trying to see it through his lens, not mine. And I'm a super task-oriented type A person. And so that line has really helped me from Susanna Wesley's, her journal. So, um, yep, so I'm going to jump down again. So I'm just going to share another little story of how that works out in my life. And I think sometimes it's in the context of um, uh, developing relationships. And sometimes it's just spontaneous, right? So I just shared about uh, developing relationships. So I just want to share a little story from something spontaneous. So I work out at a $10 a month gym. You know, I'm a pastor's wife, right? Kind of on a shoestring budget. So I'm at this $10 gym. And uh, there's a new machine I haven't tried out. And there's a woman about my age on the machine. So I just kind of jump up next to her. And I'm kind of struggling with my settings. And she leans over and she kind of helps me. And we just start talking. And I just kind of ask you, tell me about you. And we're chatting for a few minutes. And then I said, hey, are you going to be here much longer? And she goes, well, I have to leave at 8. And I said, well, I have to leave at 8. She goes, and I said, so would you mind like if I kind of went along with your workout and I don't want to bug you, but I'll just like to learn some new things and we could chat and I could get to know you better. And she goes, that sounds so fun. So we kind of go around from machine machine. I know it must be a girl thing. It probably won't work for you guys. So not necessarily, you have to, you have to contextualize this, right? So my students often say to that, that's such a women thing. And I'm like, okay, don't think about gender. What would work for you? Okay. Okay. So so, so, we're, so it's like we have to leave at 8, right? And so we're up in the mat room. And I cannot believe that no one is in the mat room with us, right? Just the two of us. And so we know we're doing our crunches. And, and I, it's the, I'm looking at the clock, and it's 3 minutes to 8. And I lean over, and I look at this girl, her name's Mo. And I say, hey, Mo, what are you longing for in life? And... <laughs> Okay, okay, that's me. You figure out the question. Okay, okay. In fact, you have a little handout today, an insert that has some questions. And you can figure out, like, what's your question? So anyway, so I look back. She looks at me, and she gets really sober, really quiet. And she goes, peace. And I look at the clock. It's ticking up to eight. And I listen, and I hear, ask her, ask her. You ever hear that small voice? Yeah, I can't figure. Is that me? Is that you, God? Don't worry about that, right? Just lean in. Okay, Mo, can you unpack that? I would love to know more about that. And what do I learn? 
Mo, five years ago, she's a single mom. She's got three guys in college, three boys in college, single mom. And she meets a really nice guy. And they start dating. They've been dating for about six weeks. And um, he starts to drop things. And then he backs the car into the closed garage door. And within a matter of months, he loses all his motor skills and his cognitive functioning. And he becomes like a child. He loses his job. He loses, Jesus is telling me this on the mat. He loses his job. He loses his um, house. And his kids don't want anything to do with him. And so she talks to her kids. They, she said, the sad thing is we hardly knew him. And the four of them decide that they are going to care for him. And they take him into their home, invite him into their home. And her life for the last five years is every morning she gets him up, gets him ready for the day, feeds him, gets him in a safe place, runs to work. Come, comes home from work, the major caregiver, gets his dinner, gets him ready for bed, starts the whole day over again. Five years. Three weeks previous to our meeting on the mat, she's at Mayo Clinic, and they say, Mo, you have done a great job, but it's time. His care is too high for you. He needs to go in a facility. She goes, that's three weeks ago, and she goes, I'm just trying to figure it out. I still show up every morning for breakfast. I still show up every night. But she said, I- I'm just... I don't know. I just need peace. Did I do enough? Should I go on with my life? I like, I hardly know him. And she's crying. I start crying. Of course, it's a girl thing, I guess. But please forgive me on gender. Who knows? Anyway, I t- totally don't mean to be culturally sensitive, insensitive on that baby. So anyway, so we're laying there and I just really, I reach out, she reaches out. And she's kind of like holding each other. And I just whisper in her ear and say, I'd like to pray. She goes like this, never met this woman before. And I just hear the father saying, tell her I'm pleased with her. I'm pleased. And so I just simply pray that very briefly, how the father is so pleased with how she has sacrificially cared for this guy for all the years of her life. And that began my relationship with Mo at the gym over years. So, right, leaning in, got to be spirit nudged. Just being open, does that happen every day? No, but it can. But it won't happen inside these walls most likely, right? Got to be making friends, developing our friendships. So one more observation here that I see is that um, uh, for something for us to really be blessers, yeah, we need to know where God's at work, how to join him. And if we look at Philip, he's what? He's near He's staying near this guy, and he's asking questions. He's trying to figure out, where is God at work? And then what does he do? He finds it, and he speaks right into it. The guy is confused. Do you understand what you're reading? He's asking the questions. No. Can you help me? And then he begins to speak right into what the guy needs because he's been listening to the Holy Spirit. It's almost like being a detective sometimes, right? So in my research for my dissertation, I looked at millennials. And I looked at covenant churches that were reaching millennials who like never went to church before or they dropped out. So one guy, and they all told me, share my story, share my story. If it helps the kingdom, share my story. So one guy tells me, I never went to church uh, ever, like even on Christmas, like I've never, ever, ever been in a church. And he said, the script I believed about the church, why didn't I go to church? Is because this church, my mom got pregnant when she was in high school and her church excluded her. They didn't want her anymore. She was not welcome there. And so what did I believe about the church? I'm not welcome there. I'm not good enough. And and so 
I believe the church was really exclusionary, that the church marginalizes people. Until I met some friends that went to this covenant church. They asked me to go camping. Then they asked me to come play sports with them. Then they asked me to come to their small group. And he goes, you know what I realized? That church wrote a new script for me. They were bright when I thought they weren't intellectual. The church does want me. It values me. It's not exclusionary. It's inclusive. That church wrote a whole new script. So we can help change that stereotype. We may need to respond compassionately to people or apologize for something or answer a spiritual question like this guy did. Yeah. So one more story. Yeah. What does it look like to come alongside somebody and just be near? Could be in a relationship, could be spontaneously. So, um, and listening to like, what do they need, Father? What do they need? So I um, am a super commuter. Do you know what that is? Super commuters. There's like, there's like 275,000 of us in the U.S. alone. Okay, so we fly from one city to another every week. Anybody here do that? Because I know a lot of you travel for your jobs. Yeah, okay. Okay, so for six years, I flew from... Here I come again, sorry. So I flew from um, Kansas City to Wheaton College to teach there and to direct a grad program. So I did a lot, a lot of my third spaces, a lot of my time was spent right on planes and trains. And so one time I'm boarding a train and I sit with this young couple sitting with me with their newborn. And I said, hey, tell me about you guys. And I just learned that they were working overseas among some marginalized people and he was doing agricultural work and she was a teacher really cool. And so they were on their first trip home to the States, to somewhere in Iowa or Nebraska to uh, introduce their family to their newborn. Really neat. So I said, well, you know, that's really interesting. I have a daughter who is um, interested in teaching in a distant classroom, and she's hoping to head to Harbin, China this year. And the woman said to me, um, and you know, she's like 25, 26. She goes, I would love to talk to you about that later. And I said, well, I'm going to be up in the observatory car for like the next six hours. Come interrupt me anytime because I got some work and research to do. And she goes, okay. So like three hours later, along come mom and dad and the newborn. And they sit in the booth across from me and say hi. And she throws a blanket up over to snuggle and nurse that baby. And I'm like, we're in for a good conversation. So it's really fun. And so I just said, you know, I would love to hear more. And, um, and I'm kind of praying, right? I'm asking the Holy Spirit, can you guide me and just help us get to what's important to you today? And so um, I said, so like, how long have you guys been married? And they said, oh, a year and a half. And I said, a year and a half. I said, well, what do you guys love about being married to each other? So they shared that with me. And then I said, so what's really hard in your marriage? And they shared that with me too. And then being great conversationalists, they just tossed the ball back to me and they said, hey Beth, tell us about your marriage. What do you love about being married to your husband? So I told them all about being married to Mark and what's really fun about that. And then you know what our next question was? Yeah? What's hard about being married to Mark? And you know what? Mark wasn't there. So I had so much fun, right? I could tell them anything. So we had a really good laugh. It was really, really fun. And Mark loves that story. So um, anyway, so then I said, okay, so you guys, you're Baha'i, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I said, what is it you just love about your Baha'i faith? And so they simply shared with me the things they really appreciated. And then I said, okay, what's really, really hard with Baha'i for you? And she goes, oh, I know. She goes, unity and diversity. She goes, that's like our core value, unity and diversity. How do you do that? And she gave an example of how hard it is, especially working in another country trying to do that. And you know, I was trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, and I thought, is that you? 
is that you, Jesus? Because you do that really well. Is that where I should jump in and kind of, you know, try to steer the conversation and more spiritual things? But I felt really restrained. And so I'm just thinking and praying and smiling. And, and she just kind of looks at me and she goes, how about you? What are you? I said, what am I? She goes, you know, like, we're behind. What are you, like, religiously? And I go, oh, that's easy. I, she goes, it is? I go, yeah. I said, I just, I mean, like, I love Jesus. And she go, you do? And I go, yeah. I, like, I mean, like, I, like, passionately, like, radically, I just love Jesus. And they're, like, looking at me like I'm crazy. And so, um, <laughs> and so she says, tell us, what do you love about Jesus? Holy Spirit, thank you. You were leading. You knew what you were doing. And I said, oh, do you guys like stories? And they're like, yeah, we love stories. I said, well, I totally love stories. And I said, how about if I just tell you a story from the life of Jesus that will illustrate for you, like, why I love him so much? And they were like, sure, we're in. Tell us. So I'm thinking and praying, and I'm like, marginalized people. They work with the marginalized people. I go, oh, the woman at the well. And so I start talking about how Jesus went, like, first of all, to this country, these people that are pretty marginalized by all the Jews, right? Like they don't worship in the right place. They don't do it right. And then he goes to the center of town in the heat of the day when most women who would go to a well to gather water for their family would be there in the cool of the morning and the cool of the night swapping stories. That's what our historians tell us, right? But when is she there? There's nobody in that text. She's there in the heat of the day. Nobody's there but her. And then he starts engaging in a conversation with a woman. And what do we know about that culture? Women were property. Men did not engage, especially Jewish rabbis, with Samaritan women. And just by asking her for a drink of water, he was like elevating her status. And about that time, I stopped in the store and I said, oh, you guys, I am so sorry. I'm probably boring you. And he, who I thought had long ago checked out because he was pretty quiet, probably an introvert, he goes, oh, no, we have never heard that story. Please tell us more. And we had this wonderful conversation unpacking that. And what did I learn that day? Boy, people surprise us. They're interested in spiritual conversations, and they're interested in learning and talking about Jesus. Yeah. So, okay, so what, so what do we learn from Philip? Yeah, use our cultural stuff. It can even be our worst stuff. It can be our baggage. God can redeem it in conversations. Yeah. And God doesn't want us to what? He doesn't, you know, I think about evangelism. Evangelism is not about making people projects and converting them and doing things onto them that they don't want done to them and that we don't want to do to them. It's just about blessing, blessing people. And so Philip, he does that. He um, he uses his cultural stuff. He listens to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. He's he's like a detective, and he kind of he gets engaged in the conversation, and he helps the guy, and he does what God says. He says, "Stay near him. Stay near." Do life with people, right? Do life with people. Hang out with them. Just engage with them over time. Conversations will come up. You'll have opportunities. Trust me. Trust me. And lean in. And the last thing about this story I love is that Philip is a multiplier. He just doesn't share with this guy and then then he flies away or disappears or whatever in that text. He baptizes him. And the guy goes on rejoicing, and the guy has a story to tell, right? He's a multiplier. We know. We know that Ethiopian eunuch went to his people and his country and his tribe, right? And he told them. He shared with them. He communicated. And that's really what blessed is all about.
being disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We ask Jesus together, will you give us spiritual children? And will you give them spiritual children? Yeah. So you've got um, a bulletin insert. Did that get passed out today? Does everybody have one? Yeah? So it's just simple. Yeah. You could do a much better job on this bulletin insert. But um, there's some question starters for you. And I hope sometime over the course of this week in your own discipleship, in your missional discipleship, that you'll ask God, what are those question starters for going a little deeper in my relationships with people? Yeah. So I just want to bless you into that. What was Jesus' reputation, guys? Do you remember? Friend of sinners. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we go all sin and do all that other stuff. But it does mean for people, and there's some of you might even be here today. You're on a journey. You're not really sure you want to do this God thing or not, right? And so it just means that Jesus hung out with people that weren't where. They weren't in the synagogue. Some of them were excluded from the synagogue. And he loved them. He cared for them. And we have that freedom to just love our friends, hang out with them. Yeah. So thanks so much. Good to be with you today.